the nation of Israel. That's what we're talking about tonight. God's chosen people. They were captives in Egypt. Does anyone have any idea how long? 400 years. 400 years. You would think, now, see, since none of them were 400 years old, um, you know, they went through generations in captivity. And they probably started getting used to it. And so when Moses came along to bring them out of captivity, it was like, what? What are you talking about? This is how we live. This is the way we live. And you're going to take us out of here? Even though they were persecuted, even though they were treated very poorly, um, they weren't really excited about leaving. You know, it's just kind of like the security that you're in. When, when you're in that security, you just want to stay, uh, stay put. The, uh, you know, even when I lived in New York, um, I didn't want to leave. My parents wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave, you know, and, uh, but I was only 16. So, uh, and, and then I moved to Arizona from New York when I was, it's like, what are you kidding me? Where did we move to? What is this? We moved, uh, and, and the first place we stayed was on Apache in Tempe in 1975, where the Wigwam Hotel was still across the street, you know, the old hotels that looked like teepees. And so we pulled in the hotel across the street to stay there for the night. The dust storm is going on, you know. So we pull in. I had just woken up. My brother was driving. I got up, and I looked out, and I'm like, What? What in the world? And uh, so it didn't get much better after that. So, <laughs> so here is the people of Israel, the children of Israel. Moses leads them out. Once they were out, they wandered in the wilderness. We often think of it as desert. We say, oh, they wandered the desert. It wasn't desert. It was wilderness. And so it was a combination of just wild trees and, and hard ground and nothing really inhabitable uh, unless you planted down there and actually built something. There was nothing really that they could stay in for any period of time. It was the wild places in between cities is what they were wandering in for many years. And, uh, and Moses told God that he was going to uh, or God told Moses, excuse me, Moses told God, let me out of here. But God told Moses, I'm going to get you through this and just, um, I'm going to bless these people. Uh, but if they disobeyed, see, he was going to bring them into the promised land. They didn't have to wander for 40 years. They could have gone right into the promised land and, you know, that would have been it. They didn't, they didn't have to wander and be, you know, in those places. You, you think they would have got the idea when they wandered 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out. And, and they had food provided for them. Water came out of rocks. And you think they would have said, we're trusting you for anything, God. Wherever you want to send me, you know, I'm good with. I'm, I'm okay with going there. So Moses told them, what their future held in Deuteronomy chapter 4. When you beget 
children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God's the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you seek with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you, in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So here's Israel and Judah. They're divided now, okay, because they couldn't get along. And uh, it was Solomon that really caused most of the problems, and that's what caused the division of Israel and Judah. And so um, here's uh, Judah down there. They have Jerusalem, and uh, they're, they're prospering. They're doing good. Israel had lots of evil kings. Judah once in a while had a good king. And then they would have a bad king, and then they have a good king, and it would go back and forth. But Israel always, they, they just had bad kings all the time. So um, then the Assyrians came and took Israel into captivity. This was 2,700 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. And um, it was 2,700 years ago. They, they took the, uh, the Assyrians took them and dragged them and brought them to all the different nations that they wanted them uh, to be slaves and brought them to Assyria. Then a hundred years later, Judah had the same problem. The Babylonians came, Nebuchadnezzar came down and took Judah captive and took them out and brought them up uh, to Babylon. So uh, how long did the Babylonian captivity last? 70 years, right? So that was prophesied by Jeremiah, the 70 years. And uh, they returned to Jerusalem. They built the walls. They built the city. uh, And you remember Nehemiah and all of that. Well, Daniel had figured out that it was getting near the end of the captivity because he read Jeremiah's prophecies. Daniel was a prophet himself, but he read Jeremiah's prophecies and said, hold on, we're out of here soon. We're coming to the end now. We're getting out of here. We read all of their prophecies And we say, we're getting out of here real soon. Right? You see, when people mock us for what we believe, mock you for believing in a rapture, mock you for, well, you're just making stuff up. When they mock you for that, they mock Daniel. They didn't believe Daniel. They didn't believe Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah didn't have one convert. His whole ministry was preaching to Judah saying, you're going into captivity. They were like, come on, get out of here. We're God's people. We're not going anywhere. And the whole 50 chapters, 50 what, I think it's 50, uh, the whole, all of the book of Jeremiah, he's telling them, no, you know, we're, you're, you're going into captivity and they didn't listen to what he had to say. We're seeing very similar things going on in the church today. The church doesn't listen to what the Bible has to say. Not just the church, but the rest of the world that believes other stuff. You know, the, the, the Muslims, Islam doesn't have a rapture. You know, um, there is no Buddhist rapture. The, the Hindus, their rapture is coming back as like a cockroach or something like that because they believe in reincarnation. You know, how come everyone that remembers they were reincarnated was always like a king or a queen or a rock star or something like that? Uh, you know, how come that is? I, I don't know. So, and I don't want to come back. I, you know, if I, if I made it all the way through the first time, I'm out of here. It is appointed unto man to die once and after this the judgment, right? So in 70 AD, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Romans came in and they dispersed the Jews again from Jerusalem, from Judea. They, they dispersed them all over the place. And uh, once again, it was just dangerous to be a Jew in those days. But then in 135 AD, it was worse. The Romans came back in and they not only dispersed them, they made it desolate. No Jews were allowed to live in Jerusalem or many of the cities in Judea. If anyone did, it was just because the Romans didn't care about that city at all and just left them there. And, and so uh, they were banned. They went to places like Turkey, Greece, Macedonia. They even went up to Assyria. They went down to Egypt and into the northern Africa uh, uh, countries down there. So here they are. They're dispersed all over the place. That happened in 135 AD. And it wasn't until 1948 that they came back into... Now, before that, there was a Zionist movement. It happened in the late 1800s. And that Zionist movement was, let's get all of us together and let's go back and take our land back. They wanted to be back in their land. God promised them their land. And some of them said, maybe God will forgive us and keep his promises. And let's go and see if that'll work out. And in uh, 1948, that happened. Uh, so... The return to the land was also a fulfillment of prophecy. In Ezekiel 26, 23, God spoke about the nation of Israel there. He said, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. He's calling them out for profaning his name because they went and worshipped other idols and stuff like that. 
and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. And so there was God's promise to them in Ezekiel. I'm going to do what no one else expected. I'm going to bring you back. Well, why wasn't that expected? Because no nation that has ever been conquered by another nation and that was taken out of the land and uh, stayed under oppression, no country ever lasted more than 200 years. They were assimilated into whoever the victor was, whoever the country was that that beat them, defeated them, that's where they would be. They would stay. And, you know, know, we don't see a lot of the nations that have been conquered in the past. How many Hittites? We have any Hittites here tonight? You know, we we know that, that when a nation is conquered, they usually go away. And, and it doesn't happen. Two thousand years, 1900 and something years, Israel kept its identity. That's incredible that they would be able to keep their identity. See, here was the problem. They lost all of their records. You know, a lot of the records were destroyed. Who was a Levite? Who was a Benjamite? You know, so on and so forth. And and so they really didn't have good records of who. So when they go to build the temple, who's going to be able to lead it? Who's going to be able to be the priest? Who's going to be able to, you know, do what they're supposed to do, the sacrifices and the ceremonies? Who's going to do that? They don't know. They, they don't have the names of the people where they came from. So that's going to be, you know how they're going to be able to do it? God. God will make a way. And, uh, but do they have to do it? No. Because their Messiah has come already. So they're sacrificing to God, but they don't have to because their sacrifice has already come. He's already made the ultimate sacrifice for them. There's no need for them to do that. Uh, Continuing in uh, Ezekiel, uh, verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Wow, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like the Israel of today, does it? So, you know, when we look at what's going on in Israel today, we're like, well, God brought them back into the land 
You know, remember the um, prophecy by Ezekiel, all the bones came together and everything, and they were standing there, and flesh came onto the bones and everything, but they didn't have a spirit. They didn't have a soul. They were empty. They were just flesh and bones. Lots of people in the world today are flesh and bones. They don't have the spirit of the living God. The, the spirit that they have is the spirit of the world. And that's sad for them. You can see the sadness in their eyes. You, you can see the fact that they're looking for something, but they can't find it. And when you tell them what it is, they don't want to hear it because it's not what they're interested in. You know, they always have their own plan going forward. You know, it's like when you go to the car lot looking for a new car and you got your eyeball on that infinity. Oh, it looks so good. It looks, that's the car. It has everything I want, all the heated seats, the air-conditioned seats, the, you know, the backup. Like it has, you know, it, it has a robot that drives for you. It has everything you possibly could want, but all you can afford is the Ford Focus over here, that, that car over there with the dent in it already. You know, that's what you can afford. But man, that's what you want. And see, that's reality. Reality is, you know, Jesus isn't appealing like Satan is. Satan is appealing to the flesh. Jesus is appealing to the spirit, to the soul. Our soul desires Jesus. Our soul wants Jesus, but that infinity looks really good, you know. I, I you know, I want you know, I, I want 50 miles to the gallon, but so at the infinity only gets 12. That's okay. I can deal with it. I'll figure it out once I have it. You know, and that's how we live in the flesh. And that's how the Jews live today. The Jews wanted to make their own rules. That's what they've done. They've made their own rules. They live by their own rules. And so here they are in Israel living by their own set of rules and it's not working out for them really well. They, they don't even like each other. That's the state of Israel today. Most of Israel is atheist. Most. The, the higher percentage of people living in Israel right now are atheist or agnostic at best. The religious people that are in Israel are a small percentage of Israel are the religious people. And then there are some religious people that are so religious they, sh they would be better off atheists if they you know because they're so locked into their rigidity of their law and their legal system that doesn't work. It's funny you can have a legal system how would you like that? Having a legal system, but not having the ability uh, to complete the loop. Okay, here's the legal system. You've sinned. You've got to go do this. You got, and this is, and you can go to the Lord, and you can, and then you have to sacrifice. Oh, where do you do the sacrifice? Who's doing the atonement for your sin? No one. Well, Jesus did. They just missed it. <laughs> 
They didn't watch that episode. They weren't there for it, you know. But that's the problem that they're having. They don't seem to be um, aware of what their future holds. You see, because they're still stuck in the Old Testament. They don't even read the Old Testament prophecies that tell them what the future holds. I, I was reading Old Testament prophecies about what the future holds. And it just seems like they don't see those. So Christians have had a good relationship with Israel since 1948. We're one of the major sources of income uh, when Christians go to the Holy Land to go tour in, in the different places. And they know it. I mean, they really go out of their way to make sure that Christians have a good time and that they see the sights, that they're able to go and spend time in the great hotels. And, and if you've ever gone to Israel, man, the food is nothing like we have here in the United States. It's, it's different. I, fish for breakfast. Who Who's having fish? If you have fish for breakfast, keep it to yourself. Uh, I, I just, I want other stuff for breakfast. But that's what they have. That's their, their breakfast there. And then they have certain fruits, at cer- uh, certain uh, meats at certain times. But they don't have that with butter. And, they, and it's all mixed up. And, and I loved every minute of it. The food was wonderful. We stayed in one hotel when we went in March. And I went there for the buffet, and I'm, I'm down there. I gather all my stuff, and I'm sitting there. And there's a bunch of Australians working there. And uh, they were like, um, uh, you know, hey, are you here working? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm here on tour with a couple of my buddies, you know. And, um, and they were like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we're working on this electrical thing down here. And I said, oh, that's neat. I said, um, Where'd you get the cappuccino? Because I could see that he was drink, drinking cappuccino. He, he said, oh, right, right up there at, you know, at the bar uh, area there by where the breakfast bar was. And I said, oh, okay. He, he, she'll be over in a second. So she was over to bring them uh, another round of cappuccinos. And uh, so I said, how much are they? And she said, oh, they're free. I had enough cappuccinos to keep me awake for three days. I was just sitting there drinking cappuccinos. Forget this food. Bring me another cappuccino. And, and so it was really wonderful. Had a great time there. And it's very unique going there. The people are unique. The sights are amazing. They count on that. They count on us coming there and doing these things because that's what helps their economy uh, grow. But we're going to see that Netanyahu has plans to do something different with the economy uh, there. So let's take a look at some of the headlines, get an idea of what's going on in Israel right now. Christians worry growing protests against missionaries will soon turn bloody. This is July uh, Deputy Jerusalem Mayor leads extremists' campaign against evangelists they believe are trying to convert Jews as Messianic Jews and others fend off attacks and missionizing claims. So there are Messianic Jews talking to the Jews, trying to lead them to Christ. There are missionaries from the United States that are in 
Jerusalem in Israel trying to lead people to Christ. It's not illegal. It's not an Arab nation. They have freedom of speech there. You're allowed to proselytize. You're allowed to share with them. But they are worried because the protests are breaking out and now there are this deputy Jerusalem mayor is leading the charge against the Christians. So, uh, you know, this shows you the climate is changing there. We see that there are people within our own government that are anti-Christian, they're anti-Israel, you know, and we can see it in our own country, but it wasn't like that there. Uh, In Israel, they're open, they allow, they have Arabs on the Knesset. There are Arabs in their government. They have just as much power as the Jews that are in the government. And so this isn't something that makes a lot of sense, especially when they're avowed enemy, when they speak things that will, uh, you know, they want them dead. But uh, let's go to the next one. Amid tensions, anti-Christian protesters target Christian embassy event in Jerusalem. So here, evangelical Christians and Messianic Jews in Israel fear that the protests and other recent episodes of harassment in Jerusalem could turn more violent as far-right uh, right Jewish anti-missionary groups step up their activities against them. Look at the date. That was yesterday. So this is happening often. As a matter of fact, I couldn't just keep putting these things up there. It would then just start being monotonous. But it's happening on a more frequent basis. And it's something that we should be concerned about. It's something that they're concerned about. The thing is, is that there's no reason for them to be upset. The the Christians aren't doing anything to, to hurt them. But these are... These are Orthodox Christians that are doing this. I mean, uh, Jews that are doing this. These, these aren't just radical, um, you know, uh, progressive type Jews. Next. So for many Christian Zionists, Israel protesters are a threat to God's plan. Since Prime Minister Netanyahu and his far right, notice they use that term a lot, far right. They do that here, in, you know, here, MAGA Republicans and stuff like that. They don't even use far right anymore. Now they just say MAGA Republicans. So anyone that voted for Trump is a MAGA Republican. That is 50% of the people that voted last time. There, there was a very small margin. It wasn't a huge difference and so half the people that voted are now named MAGA Republic. No one wants to be called a MAGA. You know, don't call me a MAGA. I'll beat you up. So, you know, and, but you know what? What did he do to hurt the United States? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Because he, now, he's from Queens. I'm from Queens. Okay, here's the difference. I grew up 
and I didn't have $100 million. So there's, there's a little of that. You know, when you get enough money, you can act stupid and nobody can blame you. You just pay them, you know. So anyway, so uh, here the, he's part of the far-right far coalition. They've sought to curtail the powers of the Israeli judiciary, effectively seizing power in perpetuity. Israeli society has erupted into some of the largest sustained protests in its history. The world has watched for months as hundreds of thousands of Israelis demonstrate to prevent Israel's slide into outright authoritarianism. Here, let me tell you what that word means. Fascism. Oh, isn't that what we heard about Trump? You know, that he was a fascist leader and that he's trying to bring fascism into uh, the only fascism I see right now is what's going on in the court in New York right now. Now, I'm not a defender of Trump. I don't have to. I don't have enough money. But here's the thing. Trump did what every other politician has done, except he actually got things done. He actually did what he said he was going to do. Okay? And, and he's just like, every. why are they... If I wish that every politician that is in Washington right now had to expose themselves as much as Trump has had to. If they really had anything on Trump, he would have been in jail years ago. But, you know, here's a guy that's willing to fight. Instead of just saying, I'm going to back down, I'm, you know what, going down to Mar-a-Lago and I'm going to go hang out in my $18 million mansion and everything, $18 million dollars. The thing's worth close to a billion. Just in the land mass and everything down there. I, I, I'm not speaking hyperbole. That, that was shown with all the real estate and the costs of real estate in that area. It's just not even close. But you know what? I, I don't care. Because you can't take it to heaven. And when I come back, when, when we go into the millennium, I'm not going to say, I get Miralago. Not gonna do it because I don't want to have to mow that lawn. So, anyway, authoritarianism, they're afraid of that there in Israel. They're afraid of someone. Well, Netanyahu has just been a phenomenal prime minister, he has been a defender of Israel. He gets in people's faces, he protects them, and he's very smart. Technologically, he is very wise. He has plans for the future. He sat down with Elon Musk, and they had this great interview. I watched the whole interview. I didn't include it in here, I don't think. Um, but the, the interview was talking about AI and, and technology and so on and so forth. And, and he's very smart. He's up on it because he surrounds himself with people that know what they're doing. That's how you succeed is by surrounding yourself with people who know what they're doing. Next slide. Hebrew media claims Christians brought red heifer to Israel to establish the Antichrist. Right? Right? Hold on. Uh, this is an Israel newspaper saying this. 
Channel 12, a Hebrew language news site, published an article on Sunday accusing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of allocating resources to a project aimed at building a third temple on the Temple Mount. The article blames Christians for bringing red heifers to Israel. Folks, Christians raised the red heifers. They were from Texas. This has been going back many years. They've been working on this. And so now they're over there in Israel. And uh, what's going to happen? So there was a guy that actually bought land uh, up on the Mount of Olives. He bought land there to burn the red heifers, to sacrifice the red heifer, because that's where it has to be done. It's actually, in, in Deuteronomy, I think it was Deuteronomy, you go, they have to bring it up there, do the sacrifice. The ashes are what's necessary for the dedication of the temple and for, for preparing the temple. So they're like already three steps in, you know. So uh, this is something that's on the move. But the third temple, they've been talking about that for 25 years. This isn't something new. The Temple Institute is right there in downtown Jerusalem. You know, you can go on a tour. They tell you what they're going to do. They show you the menorah. The menorah is outside now, outside our favorite coffee shop. That's right there. You go there in the courtyard, and there's this huge menorah, the real menorah that they're going to use to put in the town. It's there. And so it's like they're not hiding anything. So these people are once again, you know, Oh, you know, with all of the violence and everything that the conservatives are doing, it's terrible. What about Antifa? Oh, that's nothing. That's just peaceful protest. You know, uh, really? What's wrong with people that, you know, I don't care if you agree with it or not. You just look at it at face value and it's like, hold on. Why good for one, not for the other? It doesn't make any sense to me. So... That's what they're doing. They're bringing uh, the red heifers um, to Israel. They're there already. They're on their way um, to getting this done. They know what they need to do, and um, uh, they're going to do it. So I thought I'd add a little humor here uh, in this slide. So uh, this Israeli man attempts to sacrifice a sheep on the Temple Mount. Um, a religious organization vowed that sacrifices would resume soon and the third temple would be built on the Temple Mount. And so here he is. There's the sheep. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a little sheep. And he's bringing them up to the Temple Mount. And this guy's here like, are you kidding me? You're, you're, you're bringing him? Uh, what? You, you know you can't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, but here it is once again religious organization vowed that they were going to do this. Well, there are religious organizations there that want to bring... If they don't have a sacrifice, they don't have atonement for their sins. They don't have any way to cleanse themselves uh, of their sins. So this is why they need uh, to do this. So uh, is our country getting crazier and stupider um, as we go towards uh, this end result. Next. 
avowed Holocaust denier running for school board in Minnesota. One of the candidates on the ballot for upcoming Minnesota school board election is an avowed Holocaust denier who has called for all Jews to be sterilized and tattooed with the Star of David, all synagogues to be closed, and all Jewish children to be forcibly removed from their parents. This is Minnesota. This is insanity. This is Sunday. And it's getting crazier and crazier, darker and darker. No, this is today. Uh, yesterday. I'm sorry. I thought it was Sunday. That was the other one. So here we are. This guy will probably be elected to the school board. He'll probably make it on there. I, I, I just, I have no words. Next this is from the Washington Post. I like this. Democracy dies in darkness. We're living in some of the darkest days that we've lived in in the United States since it became a country. Uh, you know, you can say that, oh, things are looking up and things are bright. These are some of the darkest days because of what people believe and what people are trying to accomplish in our time. So Russia's war on Ukraine has some Christians wondering, is this the end of the world? Hey, this is the Washington Post talking about the end of the world. Cool. Not only that, earlier this month, California megachurch pastor Greg Laurie, if you don't know who Greg Laurie is, he's from Harvest Christian Fellowship. He runs Harvest Crusades throughout the country, which are, uh, we've had one here before a few years back. And, and so it's like a Billy Graham crusade, except it's a Greg Laurie crusade. And, and they go and they minister and millions of people have, uh, have come to these things. So Greg Laurie, who was part of President Donald Trump's inner circle, I don't know that I'd want that anyway, uh, of pastor advisors, told his followers he saw a prophetic significance to what is happening in Ukraine. He saw a prophetic significance to it. I'm going to have to give Greg a call because I'm not sure what the prophetic significance is. Except for the fact that in Ezekiel... It says that Russia is going to come and attack Israel. Okay, so that's quite all right. But they're busy in Ukraine right now. They got, they're busy. They've got the hands tied right now. So what is prophetic about that? Well, in Ezekiel 38.4, it says that in that day, I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to draw you in to Israel. Turn them around. That means they're facing away from Israel. They're going the opposite direction of Israel. And I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to bring you back in. Well, if they're turned around going the opposite direction of Israel, that means that they're leaving Ukraine to go back to Russia. And then something turns them around to come back in to Israel. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I always wondered, what does turn you around mean and bring you in to Israel? Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now that they were heading that way and they turned around and came back. 
So what would make them turn around? It's maybe a little event called the rapture. You see, they're headed out and the rapture happens and then, oh, well, there's no one going to stop us now. All of those loudmouth Christians are gone. So we're going to turn around and we're going to go back. We're going to go through Syria and we're going to go right into Israel and we're going to take it by storm because they got oil in Israel. They've got gas in Israel and that's what Russia wants to control. They want to control all of the energy because that's what gives them enough money. You know, they, they have a huge country and most of it's Siberia. They need oil and gas because it's just frozen. So this would be uh, the perfect opportunity for them to turn around and come back in. So let's look at some of the videos um, that uh, show us about what's going on, some of the unrest and stuff like that in Israel. Let's take it away. Israeli authorities have successfully thwarted a terrorist cell backed by Tehran, planning, among others, an assassination plot targeting a national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gvir, and activist Devo Klein has the details. The Shin Bet revealed on Wednesday that Israel has successfully thwarted a terrorist cell backed by Tehran, preventing planned attacks on the country, including a plot to assassinate National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir. Israeli authorities apprehended five individuals, three Palestinians and two Israeli citizens who were recruited and sponsored by the Islamic Republic of Iran. The Palestinians were identified as Ziyad Shanti and Hassan Mujarima, both from Janin, and Murad Kamamaja from the nearby village of Kafirdan. The Israeli nationals involved were Hamad Hamadi from Nazareth and Yosef Hamad from Mukibela in the Gilboa region. Their tasks, allegedly under the instruction of Iranian security services, included smuggling weapons into Israel and gathering intelligence on two specific targets, Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir and former Knesset member Yehuda Glick, both known for advocating Jewish prayer rites on the Temple Mount. So they were advocating the prayer rites, Jewish prayer rites, on the Temple Mount. Now, if you weren't aware, the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. But it's not under control of Israel. It's under control uh, of a special group of Palestinians that um, they are the authority on the Temple Mount. And so whatever happens up there, they have to approve. And so if you go up there wearing the wrong clothing, um, if, you, if you're a woman and your shoulder is showing, you know, that's it. You're out of here. You're off the, the Temple Mount. Didn't you have to put a, a shawl on? Or was that Lisa? Uh, who was it that had to put a shawl on? Oh, her wrist was showing, that's right. And the, she had to cover her wrist going up to the Temple Mount. We, we also got in trouble because we were holding hands. And um, there, none of that, none, none holding hands up there. I, I noticed this time that we went up, it was a little different. Um, because uh, when, I, when we were up there at, on the Temple Mount, um, I saw uh, Jim and Claudia Remington, friends of ours from Queen Creek, the pastor and his wife. And I, you know, I went up and I saw Claudia. I gave her a hug. There were guys standing right there. They didn't say a thing. 
So, the, so it looks like things maybe change. Maybe it's a weekly thing. Whoever's, you know, whoever's up there uh, taking care of things. But um, Iran, they want to eliminate Israel, even if they have to do it one person at a time. They'll do assassinations or whatever it takes uh, to. Uh, to get rid of them. So the specter of war is always present, especially with Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon right there. Next video. You can't quite see the internationally recognized border from the roof we're standing on, but it is there in amongst the bushes. It's called the Blue Line and is marked by 272 barrels painted in the light blue colors of the United Nations. The tall concrete barrier snaking over the hills belongs to Israel. It always used to be like the green without border flag, but the fact that now they're just saying this is Hezbollah, this is like new. The last conflict between Israel and Lebanon was in 2006, but with no armistice signed, officially the two sides remain at war. This land here should be some military buffer zone, in theory at least. The Israelis, the IDF, argue that by Hezbollah putting their, their yellow flag just there, and building lookout posts 100 or so yards away. Well, this is a violation of the agreement with the United Nations. Earlier this month, Israel revealed satellite images of an airstrip that it claims is being built in southern Lebanon with Iranian money. Hezbollah have massive Iranian backing. They've been fortifying themselves and building their force since 2006 with, with advanced projectiles that can arrive all the way to Tel Aviv. In April, the biggest salvo of rockets in years was fired from Lebanon into Israel. It's thought that Hamas was responsible, but acted with Hezbollah knowledge. And then in June, Hezbollah erected two military-style tents just south of the Blue Line, claiming that it was Lebanese territory. It's a concern for all of us, but it's important also that, uh, that our relation and our coordination with both parties exists. So why the increased tensions and provocations now? Well, Israel is divided domestically over government plans to reform the judiciary. One theory is that Hezbollah see this as an opportunity to test Israel. Lebanon also accuses Israel of regularly flying through its airspace without permission to bomb Iranian targets in neighboring Syria, both Hezbollah's allies. But if a new war did break out, it wouldn't be confined just to Lebanon. Hezbollah's allies, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, would almost certainly fight from Gaza and the West Bank too. And it's a bunk of Sky News on the Israeli-Lebanese border. So, you know, that's the military, you know, um, condition right now. There's things going on almost every day. Uh, that's happening there. If you go to visit Israel, you wouldn't even see it. You wouldn't even know. Uh, when we were there in March, we went up to the Golan Heights uh, on the south side, drove all the way across the Golan Heights up to Mount Bental, and uh, you know, stood there looking over into Syria. And it was like, no big deal. Uh, you know, there was nothing to be concerned about. We were complete, we felt completely safe. And, uh, you know, so for the most part, 
it's it's safer than going to San Francisco. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of places in the United States that would be much worse uh, for us to go. So um, here, uh, Hezbollah is uh, an Iranian proxy. Basically, Iran is funding all of these terrorist groups in Gaza and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad. They're all being funded by Iran. So let's make sure we give them billions of dollars so they have extra money to go ahead and fund uh, these things going on. So non-religious Israeli citizens are fighting much more against uh, the Jewish religious citizens. Yom Kippur in Israel. Radio and television broadcasts fall silent. Public transport halted. Israeli airspace closed to flights as millions of Israelis pray in synagogues around the country. Tens of thousands attended prayer services at the Western Wall Plaza, taking part in Salichot services, asking God to forgive them for past sins and offer repentance. The Jewish Day of Atonement is marked by fasting and prayer by many observant Jews. The day was marred by clashes at a public prayer gathering at Dizengloff Square in Tel Aviv. There were similar, smaller-scale incidents reported in other cities as well. In Tel Aviv, makeshift gender separation barriers placed before the holiday by an Orthodox group were ripped down by anti-judicial reform activists. The protesters claimed they were acting to prevent gender separation in public places banned by the High Court. Clashes resulted between worshippers and activists. The Orthodox prayer service dispersed, but not before leaving many in Tel Aviv and around the country angered by the events. After Yom Kippur concluded, Prime Minister Netanyahu issued a statement sharply condemning the protesters who disrupted the prayers. Netanyahu tweeted, The people of Israel sought to unite on Yom Kippur in a request for forgiveness and unity among us. To our astonishment, in the Jewish state, on the holiest day of the Jewish people, left-wing protesters acted out against Jews during their prayers. It seems there are no boundaries, no norms, and no limit to the hatred from the extremists on the left. Netanyahu concluded, I, like the majority of Israeli citizens, reject this. Such violent behavior has no place among us. Chief Rabbi David Lau said, the most special day of the year turned, due to the frenzied incitement of religious haters, into a sad day. Some forgot the essence of the day and continued the waves of simmering hatred. You know, so here is... First of all, this is the Day of Atonement. This is the one day a year where the high priest would go into the temple, then go into the Holy of Holies, and ask for forgiveness of the sins of the nation. And so it would cover all the sins, the, the sins that you know, people forgot that they did, and so on and so forth. And they would be absolved of all of their sins one day a year when the high priest would go into the temple. He had to first go and get cleansed himself. He had to go and go through a whole ceremony of asking for forgiveness and having a sacrifice of forgiveness. Then he was deemed eligible to go in and to do this. They would tie a rope around his ankle and um, they had little bells that hang from their robes and stuff like that. And so if he goes in to do the atonement and to ask for atonement there, uh, and the bells stop ringing, uh, you know, they tug a couple of times to see if, uh, if he's not moving, they pull him out. 
and send in number two. Um, you know, but that's the day of atonement. That is so, hold on. They're having a day of atonement celebration. Where? Well, all the people, all of the religious people in Israel, it, it's kind of like in the United States for Easter. All the people come out to celebrate Easter. Uh, half of them are celebrating an Easter bunny. The other half are celebrating, you know, Jesus, but half of those people don't know who Jesus is. They're just celebrating. They're going through the motions of celebrating Jesus. It's, I don't think that we even think about how many people actually have a relationship with Jesus, has invited Jesus into our hearts. Without that, without having the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how many times we go to church. It doesn't matter how many good works we do. We're not saved unless we ask for forgiveness and invite Jesus into our lives. Then we're saved. I know that you guys have heard me talking about this kind of a lot because it's important. That's our whole foundation of our faith is based on that alone. Not on what we're doing for him, it's what he's done for us. So <clears throat> that's um, the non-religious Jews fighting against the Jews. Netanyahu has big plans for Israel. I'll leave it up to him. What are you most excited for going to Anga? Uh, well, I've been there many years. You know, I know, many my times. What am I most uh, excited about? Uh, the, uh, the possibility of broadening the uh, already historic Abraham Accords. I think this will, be, this will change history. I think it will not only end the Arab-Israeli conflict, not the Palestinian-Israeli yeah. conflict, but our conflict with 98% of the Arab world. It will also, I think, create a new peace between the Jewish state yeah. and the Muslim world. But, Prime Minister, the, in the countries of the Abraham Accords, some of them have been frustrated, right, about some of the noise that's been coming out of your government. Mm -hmm. will, you, will you meet with them to try and reassure them? Well, we, we meet with them all the time, and uh, we reassure them all the time. But I think, I think there, there's a lot of noise in the market. But if you look at the fundamentals of Israel, mm -hmm. if you look at the growth rate, which is double the United States, expected mm -hmm. now. You look at the deficit, which is 1.5 at most percent mm -hmm. compared to 5.5 percent in the U.S. If you look at the uh, debt to GDP, which is 60 percent, which is less than 100 percent in the U.S., and you know what it's like in the EU. And if you look at, uh, if you look at the investments, I mean, NVIDIA builds here the supercomputer. Intel just puts yeah. $25 billion for a, I mean, a chip plant. these are prospects longer term, but, but you but are, that's, are but the long, that's my point, that there's noise in the short-term markets. Yeah. There's clarity in the long-term markets. I mean, uh, um, now uh, Amazon just invests uh, $7 billion in cloud services here. Why are they doing that? Because they know something I'm going to do. And the yes. thing that I'm going to do, and I'd like to bring it to your investors' attention, uh, a few years ago, 10 years ago, I decided that Israel would be one of the 10 cyber powers in the world, one of the five. We've become one of the more than five. Uh, higher than that. Now I think that what we're going to do is, and what I'm organizing is government, a government uh, 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 policy and a government uh, board with money to make Israel one of the three top but AI powers in the world. Prime Minister, what do you say to investors that worry that you've changed in terms of priorities? I haven't. 
My priorities are peace, prosperity, and security. Uh, I think that they're all dependent on prosperity to have the, the yeah. ability to fund the, uh, the defense needs that we have and to expand the peace. The prosperity is based on Israel's supreme technological prowess. We are, uh, you know, people rated us seventh on the AI, on the AI list. You know why? Because of the absence of government policy. I'm changing that, and I'm, I'm not going to announce in about uh, six weeks the government policy, the organization, the project leader for a host of civilian and military AI that will thrust Israel right up there. So Netanyahu is going to be an AI guru. He is going to put what I cut a lot out of that video. There was actually much more in that video that was pretty interesting. It was just the fact that the interviewer was from Bloomberg and she was very annoying. As he was doing the interview, she kept interrupting and talking over him. You could see her hands in in the, the screen and she was just so annoying that I said, no, I'm just going to cut those parts out. But uh, what um, he was saying was uh, the, the technological prowess of Israel is such that they're able, they do amazing things. They, they invent some amazing technologies, and we're using many of them in the United States. They're cutting-edge technologies, and they're uh, all over the world, but now he's consolidating things in Israel. He, he wants to be the AI king. He, he wants to be at the top of the pack when it comes to AI. Is that scary? It should be. Because Netanyahu isn't an AI expert. He talks to people he thinks are AI experts. Elon Musk is an AI expert, but I don't trust him as far as I can throw him because he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. And so while there's a lot of stuff that I would agree with on with Elon Musk, um, I won't go and support him in anything because just as quick as he does something I like, he does something I don't like. And so there are people that are going to be like that and um, and we have to be aware of that but Bibi uh, he is um, a good person he has a lot of Christians around him a lot of leaders that he has uh, in his um, organization have Christian roots and he listens to them so um, I do uh, trust him, but I think that sometimes he's kind of misguided in some of the things uh, that he does. So um, there's one final uh, thing. So when that that interview opened, she talked about um, uh, UNGA, uh, the UN General Assembly. Okay, and uh, it was right before he spoke at the UN General Assembly, and she's like, "Are you excited?" You know. He's not excited because he's been there, he's spoken so many times, and they don't listen to him. He goes and he speaks. Israel 
is regarded, they have more violations against them, human rights violations against Israel than any other nation in the world. And they'll get a list of 75 um, uh, you know, human rights violations against them, 75 at one time, and Iran doesn't get any. Saudi Arabia doesn't get any. You know, and Israel will get hit for all these violations. So here's Netanyahu at Unga. The vast majority of Israelis believe that this nuclear deal with Iran is a very bad deal. And what makes matters even worse is that we see a world celebrating this bad deal rushing to embrace and do business with a regime openly committed to our destruction. Last week, Major General Salehi, the commander of Iran's army, proclaimed this, quote, We will annihilate Israel for sure. We are glad that we are in the forefront of executing the Supreme Leader's order to destroy Israel." End quote. And as for the Supreme Leader himself, a few days after the nuclear deal was announced, he released his latest book. Here it is. It's a 400-page screed detailing his plan to destroy the state of Israel. Last month, Khamenei once again made his genocidal intentions clear. Before uh, Iran's top clerical body, the assembly of experts, he spoke about Israel, home to over six billion Jews, he pledged, quote, there will be no Israel in 25 years, end quote. Seventy years after the murder of six million Jews, Iran's rulers promised to destroy my country, murder my people, and the response from this body, the response from nearly every one of the governments represented here, has been absolutely nothing. Utter silence. And we know that that's what's going to happen when Russia heads down to go and invade Israel, it says that no one comes to their defense. Saudi Arabia says, what are you going there? Why are you doing this? You're going there to take booty? What's going on? That's the big discussion about what's going to happen to Israel. But we know that God intervenes and he solves the problem there. So what does the future hold? 
We read about what Moses said in Deuteronomy about Israel being scattered. Ezekiel wrote them about coming back into the land. Both of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. Israel was scattered and then returned in 1948. But things don't look like it's really going well there. It doesn't look like there's a lot of opportunity for peace and prosperity. There are still many enemies coming against them. And there is much turmoil similar to what's going on in the United States here today. Peace and security seem very far away. But let's see what God tells us will take place after the tribulation, after Armageddon. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. He's going to gather the remnant of the flock, and I just wanted to mention that before that, the verses before that, he scolded the shepherds who were misleading the Jews, who were telling them, oh, you're the shepherds that are lying to them, that are poisoning the people, but I'm going to find, I'm going to raise up good shepherds is what he says. Go ahead next. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. Notice the king is capitalized. We're talking about Jesus. And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Next. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which He will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Next. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought us, uh, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So here is the Lord through Jeremiah saying, I'm going to bring you and I'm going to save you out of here. And I'm going to bring you to a place. Well, that hasn't happened yet either. So did God forget the promises that he made to Israel? Did he, he promised that he was going to bring them to this land and be their king. Next slide. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria. Egypt and Assyria? What's that about? This is Isaiah writing this. So this is Old Testament. The Jews know what this is saying. It's never taken place before. So the Jews living in Israel right now should be scratching their head, saying, what does this mean? A blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, blessed is Egypt 
my people, Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Uh, That is the promise God is making. He's going to solve the problem between the nations. Egypt, Israel, Assyria, they're all going to get along. Everything is going to be much better than it was. When is that going to happen? The millennium. It won't happen until Jesus returns in the Battle of Armageddon. His people were going to be in Jordan, probably in Petra, being protected there for three and a half years. Because when they see the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, they're going to run and flee Jerusalem, and they're going to end up in Jordan. And they're going to be protected by God for three and a half years. And then Armageddon's going to take place, and all of the 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 armies of the world gather together and then Jesus comes down and we're going to be there with him. We're going to be following. We're going to be on horseback. Get your lessons in. We're going to be on horseback with him. We're not going to have to, we're not going to have weapons. We're not going to have armor. We're not going to have any, you know what we're going to have? The winner. Jesus, he's going to be right in front and with his mouth, he's going to slay them all. And then we go into the millennial period. And at that point in the millennial period, he establishes his throne in Jerusalem. And when he does that, he's going to bring peace to the whole world. He's going to rule, it says, with the rod of iron. But things are going to be much better than next. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Woohoo! We um, are, go, we're, we're not going to be there. I mean, yes, we are, but the people of the earth are going to be living here doing that. We're going to be ruling with Jesus ruling doesn't that sound cool you know to be i i want hawaii <laughs> I, I, I just i just want to be the ruler of just a big island that'll be fine so you know I, and really i don't want hawaii i hate water so um you know i want dallas or no i anyway everywhere is going to be so beautiful it's going to be a different world. The Jews are currently living with the blinders on. There are very few Messianic Jews. They're the remnant that believe right now. And they are going to be there when you know Jesus comes back in the rapture. They're going away. And then the Jews are going to believe the Messiah is the Antichrist, and they're going to listen to him. And then as they dwell um, in the land for three and a half years, then he's going to show himself that he's going to call himself God. They're going to realize they were duped. And so that's the history of the Jews. That's what the Jews... But 
the Jews living in Israel, they don't even know this. They don't believe this. That's what all the turmoil is going on there because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe the Christians. They don't want to believe the Messianic Jews. They don't want to hear anything except everything's okay. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that it's very similar to what is taking place in Israel today. Jeremiah was told, go warn them, tell them, you know, they're, they're going to be brought in. They're going to be in captivity. Let them know. Well, see, when the Jews um, follow the Antichrist as their Messiah, they're in captivity. This will be a form of captivity for them. They won't realize it until three and a half years in, and then they're going to flee. But two-thirds of the Jews that are in Jerusalem are going to die. And only a third of them are going to be left alive. And so that's Israel and prophecy. And everything that we see is based on the children of Israel. They're the key to what's taking place. Fortunately, we'll be up in heaven chowing and we're going to have... We're going to be having a great time up there, but I really feel for the people that are going to be left behind. So let's get as many of our friends uh, connected. Amen. Amen.